You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone, Harsha here. And welcome to another amazing episode of Changing Reality. So we're so excited to have you guys here with us again on this lovely Thursday to see the stories of two more inspiring individuals here with us who've actually been spending, who've actually previously spent time on the Penn campus as well. So extra excitement. So for all of you who may be new to the show, or if this is your first time watching in a sense, welcome one, welcome all to the amazing session of Changing Reality here on WQHS Radio, Penn's only student-run radio show. And Changing Reality is a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. And we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to top executives, industry leaders, and even artists, musicians, inspiring individuals from all across the board. And by hearing their inspiring stories on how they are changing the world around them, hopefully we'll figure out a little bit from those nuggets of wisdom of how we can do the same in our own capacities. And I wanted to do this show simply because I felt like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about learning how those people are changing the world in their own capacity so that we can replicate it in our own lives. And just to show you guys how important I feel the power of stories is, personally, I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with global organizations, including Ministry of Education back home, where we help provide alternative education platforms for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion, learn about themselves and the world around them, and take those things that they learn to come back and start their own careers while they're still in school. That creates not just meaningful impact for themselves, but for the community around them as well. And we've been very fortunate to date to work with over 15,000 students in 970 communities and have actually recently worked with 28 different countries through our 50,000 student conference that has just finished. And the best part is from this, we've made countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 25 years old themselves. And the essence behind this, the reason it's all been possible, is stories. It's the time of inspiring individuals who come on board to share what they've gone through, how they've achieved success, and how others who are just starting out may replicate their journey. So that's the power of stories, and that's what I personally believe in. So if you guys are watching Changing Reality, I hope that this power of these experiences that we're sharing with you guys has that same impact in the things that you are working on. And if you have any questions about it, do drop it in the show chat below. And as well as if you guys have any suggestions for topics, if you guys have things that you want to find out about, let me know as well. And put it down in the comments so that we can take it up for our next show as well. So we have two very, very amazing people joining us today. I have already given away a little spoiler and told you that they're Wharton alumni. But these two people actually work together through the amazing platform that is known as Samsung Next. So for all of you who may not be so sure about what Samsung Next is, um, Samsung Next Ventures seeks to provide early stage capital, expertise, and access to Samsung to accelerate and improve a startup success. So they're someone who actually is very well known in the startup space and individually, they've also been incredibly successful as well. So the first person we have is Brandon Hoffman, who is a senior leader at Samsung in the areas of venture capital, innovation and strategy. So he's not only an investor at Samsung Next, uh, the software and service venture group, but he also through there focuses on media and creatives, fintech and blockchain and health and wellness. Previously, he also co-launched the office to direct support as the chief, um, with the chief innovation office department at Samsung Electronics. And through this low, uh, he actually drove thought leadership agenda for the CIO and delivered insights used to explore new market opportunities through a combination of venture investment, acquisition and partnerships. And previously, even before that, he's had experience at Morgan Stanley in equity research, as well as through many different roles, even as a startup founder at one part at one point himself. 
We also have our second amazing, amazing speaker, who is also a colleague of his, Antonio, who serves as the Director of Venture Investments at Samsung X. And in this role, he actually works to identify early stage startups that could enable new software and service revenue to facilitate entry into new markets and enhance Samsung's existing product offerings as well. So he as well has had his own startup career, which has been incredibly successful. And both of them, as I mentioned, have an MBA from the Wharton School as well. So I think I've spoken enough about them. They are both two people who have a phenomenal story that I think all of you will enjoy, especially for many of you who are looking to venture into the spaces, but may not know how to connect the resources or may not know if this is the space for you. So without further ado, let's invite our two lovely speakers onto our virtual stage to hear their stories. Hello, how are you both feeling? Who needs a cup of coffee when you're introducing us? I'm, I'm fired up and ready to go. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining on the show. Hopefully today hasn't been too terrible. No hurricanes, no tornadoes where you guys are at. No, we're all right. Thank you. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's always especially amazing to have alumni with us. And um, hopefully that adds a layer of excitement to our audience who are listening in today. But honestly, when I was looking through your introduction, when I was reading up about both of you for this interview, I was so amazed by the many things that you guys have done. As I mentioned earlier, both of you um, had your own um, experiences as uh, business owners as startup owners yourselves you went on to the whole uh, venture stage of things and today you're actually the person behind the scenes who actually facilitates new startups to grow and that it kind of like brings the whole circle around but i'm going to be honest was like whenever i like meet inspiring people like you i'm so curious if you guys were ever like us the audience watching confused and lost and once college students who had no idea they'd get into any of this so maybe we should rewind to your life stories a little bit and i've got to ask you the first question which is where did it all start actually where does your journey begin was this something predestined that you knew from like high schooler this is what i'm gonna do or was this a completely unexpected route for both of you right or antonio do you want to go first or <laughs> no all right brandon go ahead yeah um I mean, the short answer, uh, definitely not. Uh, was not destined uh, to, to get here. Uh, rewinding back far enough, I mean, yeah, let's say, you know, uh, high school, right? Le leading up to um, up to undergrad experience. At that time, I mean, so now I'm gonna just shame myself. You know, I was worlds away from Ivy League. I, I had never heard of Wharton. And when I first heard of Wharton in my like mid twenties, I didn't know that it was different than UPenn, like for the longest, like that world was just completely uh, unknown to me. Uh, so I grew up in SoCal, kind of bounced around here, to be honest, sort of only knew of the, the local kind of bubble. You know, I knew there were Cal State, there were UCs, there's community colleges. Um, you know, I mean, that was that was the, the gist of what I knew in terms of just academic opportunities. Um, I had certainly never heard of venture capital. Uh, I heard of venture capital again in my 20s, probably in a movie, and still never quite understood what it was. I remember hearing investment banker. I thought that that was the guy that just helped you with your like retirement plan at the local bank branch in the corner, you know, who's a financial advisor. Definitely not an investment banker uh, as, as I now know it, as we know it, many in this audience, I'm sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that just gives a glimpse of how far away I was, I think, uh, not only in just proximity, but mindset, uh, just even understanding, even vernacular, right? I mean, just worlds away. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'll just, I'll start with that at least uh, to answer your question uh, as the origin and then can, can further uh, dive into it. But uh, I'll let Antonio give his, uh, his point of view. Yeah, um, the, the short answer is no, I, I didn't wake up and sit decide you know 30 years ago that we wanted to be in venture capital is definitely a meandering path I, I think one of the things that are germane to both me and brandon is just kind of intellectual curiosity and our and our passion for kind of technology as as one of kind of the uh guiding kind of north north stars in terms of you know our intellectual curiosity and so yeah i mean we, we're fortunate to grow up you know um with you know uh 
folks like idolizing folks like you know Michael Dell, Bill Gates, you know, just like the early um, kind of uh, the early times of the internet were super interesting, right? Like information at the speed of kind of how fast you could type, and you know, dating myself, like I, I, re I remember when you used to get the cards from like AOL and they would come in the mail and, and you would have like the dial in, you know, internet. But I mean, imagine like the status quo before that, which is like Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, that you would have if you were lucky enough in your public school elementary class when you would want to like learn about a particular subject. And so we just kind of like dove head first. Um, you know, I was fascinated by gaming. Gaming at an early age was like my first um, exposure to, you know, computer science. And then I studied kind of computer science in high school as well as in undergrad. Um, and you just, the, this notion of building, creating, of, of being entrepreneurial uh, and, and, and kind of owning, um, you know, your, your business, kind of owning your time is something that's been very important um, to, to me. Um, and so kind of like moving forward in, in undergrad was, was exposed to that, was fortunate enough to, to go to Stanford where I was, um, you know, exposed in this kind of entrepreneurial milieu still didn't understand it, right? Like, uh, you know, Facebook was was just getting conceived, you know, around the time that I was like finishing up. Um, folks were leaving, Google was starting to take off. Um, didn't, un uh, uh, understood that they were growing rapidly, but didn't understand where they were getting the fundamental capital to, to do so. Uh, after college was an entrepreneur myself and realized right away that bootstrapping a business is very, very difficult um, and that there are other ways to do it, whether it's raising debt or raising equity, uh, properly went to, to Wharton to understand kind of the fundamentals of, of how you kind of uh, fund a business and scale a business. Um, I think what excites both me and Brandon uh, about the concept of venture capital as an asset classes is fundamentally you are investing in high growth opportunities, right? And so to do that, you need to be aligning yourself and discussing and spending the bulk of your time talking to founders who at the core see the future much differently uh, than they experience it today. Um, and by virtue of some of that osmosis, that helps inform your view it helps you like dive in and then i still feel like a kid going to, to to work every day because you know the next founder or the next thesis uh can open up the door to a whole new wealth of knowledge that i can hop down that rabbit hole so i like the ability of of kind of being able to go deep um and progress as technology progresses but yeah the short answer is no i think um exposure to different life experiences, both in undergrad, geographical exposure, uh, my professional exposure has kind of like led us in, on, in a meandering way to, to where we are today as venture capitalists. Very, very cool. And I've always um, admired those who have been on both sides of the deal, an entrepreneur themselves and also in the venture capitalist space too, because I've always thought that that gives you a very unique perception, like perspective of being in both places at the same time. So as I mentioned, and as you both mentioned as well, you started off as entrepreneurs in your own way. So I think, Brandon, if I'm not mistaken, you actually had a music production company, if I'm not mistaken, called Reborn Brilliance Production. And um, Antonio, if I'm not mistaken, you actually co-founded um, KOT Marketing Group that produces guerrilla marketing campaigns and had even amazing clients like Nike and HBO and Fox. So kind of like like trying to get into your minds back then as the like, entrepreneur starting up. Why did you even decide to go this entrepreneurship route instead of taking some other path in a sense? Like, and how was those initial stages of starting up? What's the story behind there? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, for me, music was, uh, you know, just just my refuge. Uh, it was sort of my calling. It was a passion, um, you know, very, very turbulent uh, upbringing. Um, and, you know, I just found I found it to just, you know, be, be my therapy. Right. Um, it, it got me through life uh, and, and uh, just made me made me more optimistic, right? And, and aspirational. So, I mean, that started at a young age. 
Uh, I mean, I wrote like my first song, I don't know, I was 11 or 12 uh, and was, you know, always wanted to learn piano um, just because uh, avid music fan, especially like R&B, you know, so so a lot of artists uh, in that genre, right? It's very piano driven, very melodic. Um, so I saved up and got a Casio keyboard from Good Guys, you know, which which is now out of business and basically a Best Buy for those that, that don't know. Um, and taught myself to, to play piano, um, to read music, to write music. Um, you know, then I got bored of playing other people's stuff and wanted to create my own. Um, and, you know, that's just slowly throughout my teenage years. That's what I did. Um, music. So to Antonio's point, I mean, I remember um you know the internet just being uh just this amazing new world right uh and kind of firing it up uh the dial up and going into chat rooms that were based in japan to download these things called mp3s uh that took hours to download like one song and all of a sudden you know tower records was at my fingertips right and i could create my own playlist uh and access these and then i was even I was selling some of those like custom kind of playlists, you know, and this and that. Then I was making my own music years later and I was selling that, you know, to people and kind of leasing it out to, to choreographers, dancers, you know, people making films uh, to aspiring independent artists, you know, singers and rappers. Um, so, I mean, I just, I, I loved all that. Uh, so a lot of it was technology. I was seeing firsthand media be transformed, you know, and digitized um, from a Napster AOL type of world to, iTunes and then, and then later the Spotify's. Um, I was building my own custom computers because I was souping up the sound cards and video cards to plug in a, a Pro Tools rack, you know, and things like that. And uh, MIDI hardware and, 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 you know, a lot of the audio kind of software. Um, so that was my foray sort of into technology. It was actually from the arts and from the creative side of things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I just loved it. Um, so my, you know, to take a step back, uh, high school sort of through, fell through the cracks of sort of the education system, I would say. I'm AP student, pretty solid SAT score, decent GPA. Um, but I, I've been on my own since I was about 15, 16. And uh, so I didn't have all the information necessary to fill out a FAFSA properly and was just precluded sort of from some of the financial aid. Unfortunately, didn't really have uh, folks around me to help guide, you know, uh, counselors, no, nobody to really help me navigate the system. So I had to turn down local universities, you know, that, that that's what you're taught. Like you want to go to a, a university and UC is the best and then Cal State, then, you know, there's this pecking order. Um, and I had to turn down the, you know, those at the, on the higher end uh, and go to a community college because um, I couldn't get any loans. I couldn't get financial aid. I was 17 when I was set to graduate, so I couldn't even put loans in my name. You know, so it's just, it's just one of those things, right, uh, systemically. And uh, so I went to community college, uh, various odd day jobs. I mean, you know, again, since 15, 16, like I worked a graveyard shift, like doing demolition at retail stores late at night, construction, laying bricks. Like I worked at restaurants, washing dishes and running, you know, breadsticks and <laughs> bowls of pasta and salad. Um, and then happened to become a teller part time at uh, Wells Fargo. Um, you know, and that was one of my jobs um, while making music and uh, nights and weekends while going to community college, paying my way kind of through uh, and paying for my little studio apartment. And, um, you know, I mean, so music was the dream kind of getting a degree was actually just the backup plan, just just in case my day job on and off was financial services. It just kind of fell into it, but sort of had a knack for it. I was always quantitatively inclined and, you know, I was uh it piqued my interest like the the notion of investing and just kind of growing money and, and building a business i would talk to all these small businesses you know local businesses who were account holders right i would just talk to them i would talk to folks who were buying real estate pre but then you know after the the crisis so i saw kind of that firsthand from inside a branch you know at a early 20s late teens um so, I mean, you know, I had a bit of a bit of that going on on the day job financial services, but music was just the dream. It was the passion. Um, and I was able to basically take money from any other, it, it, even my day job and just reinvest it effectively into this. Um, and again, the internet, I mean, I was able to like sell beats to people in Europe and New Zealand and like places, people I never knew through like SoundClick and Reverb Nation and Rock Battle and all these kind of random platforms that 
I could just upload my own MP3 again, coming full circle. Like I'd convert my own file to an MP3 uploaded and it gets exposure and people are paying 50, 100, $250 just to use it, you know, the same track over and over. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of, uh, I think just the, the a bit of the origin and the passion behind it. Uh, it was what I loved. It was sort of chasing the stereotypical dream, uh, Hollywood, you know, everybody wanted to be an actor or a model or, or a musician. And so it, it wasn't the most original of a dream to chase, but, uh, it was really just the, the love of it. And admittedly crash and burn like many, you know, uh, sort of generated a, a good amount of income, sort of let it ride, got, you know, um, got kind of screwed over, unfortunately, in a, in a certain agreement, um, you know, with some folks in the industry. I was, I was sort of a young kid trying to figure it out, you know, on my own. Um, that was an important lesson from a business standpoint, a legal standpoint, accounting, like just all of that. Um, I, and, and that was kind of the first glimpse that if I'm going to build something, um, you know, or be a part of anything that's built, I, I really need to invest in, you know, that business acumen um, and have the right people around me. And, and uh, that was the beginning of, okay, I should consider business school. Uh, you know, and then I focused on that for three years. I was obsessed with just trying to rebrand myself, you know, from a very non-traditional sort of background, professionally and academically. Um, and it was in that three-year obsession. I, I joined MLT and Twigo, a couple of fellowships. That's where I met Antonio, you know, going on 10 years ago. Uh, so, yeah. So that, that was that. No, I think, thank you for sharing. I think that's a very, very like relatable story because a lot of the students that I work with personally, I think have those similar aspirations or are in the process of trying things out and, and may not know where it's going, maybe um, going a little bit off track or aren't really sure about the things that they're getting into legally as well as like some of the like, like partnerships that they are. So like just hearing it from someone as successful as you, I think will make them a little bit more mindful and a little bit more taking a step back and seeing the whole journey that they're charting out. So thank you for sharing. And Antonio, what about yeah. you? I mean, we're getting I mean, to the part where we get to know you as well. <laughs> no, and the one thing I would say there uh, to your point, like I failed, right? Like that's important to know, like uh, in the sense of me chasing, I was looking for a record deal and to like, you know, penetrate the music industry and become the Kanye West Timbaland of the world, right? Uh, that didn't happen, right? Um, but I definitely chased it. I learned a ton. And it's about taking those learnings and moving forward. But again, to Antonio's point, he'll share his story. It's it is this meandering kind of, and it and it moves up and down, right? But as long as you, if you do have um, a destination in mind, even if it's loose, you know, and you keep moving forward, um, you can you can get there. But there's always going to be setbacks, you know. So I, I wouldn't say that I was successful in in that specific you know dream that I pursued. Um, I, I got to a certain I think level though. I think I learned a good amount. And to be honest, I, I had to also be honest with myself. The music industry was dead. It was dying, you know? And so the, the, the dream of getting a record deal, that was 80s, 90s, you know? And that was me as a kid. But like in the 2000s, um, that's why I also, uh, you know, I think kind of had that falling out uh, with the folks I was working with. It was an industry that was shrinking. People were struggling, right? And it was becoming very zero sum, you know, of a shrinking pie. Um, and so that's why, again, I saw sort of what was going on with innovation and with technology and with the Spotify's, you know, again, like around 2010 and how they were actually growing the pie and changing an industry, you know, and it required me to somewhat pivot, you know, my, my dream and aspiration. So I, I just want to make that clear as well. I wouldn't say it was a. No, I mean, like, I, I would say that you did, like, a couple of things which even people <laughs> now can do. I mean, like, engaging people across the world, still selling your music. I think, like, all of those are stuff that are still very admirable. And, like, just that whole journey, and I think, shows, like, how how there are successors and at the same time there are failures that you have to be aware of and i think like the thing about you is you saw that as a lesson and you say okay like what do i need in a sense to be able to run a business properly and then you looked at like going to business school you looked at different options so definitely i think maybe like in the long term something that is very inspirational that we can all like take away from as well Antonio, what about you? You also went into the entrepreneurship world prior to your time at Wharton as well. Um, as I mentioned, you had so many big clients. You had this guerrilla marketing firm that you were part of. What was the story behind that in a way? Yeah, um, let, let me just walk back a little bit um, 
to, to my to my high school days. So played athletics, you know, a lot a lot of my life. Made made the choice in in high school to kind of double down on education and not really um, kind of like deprioritize some of my athletic ambitions in terms of being a college college athlete. Um, because some of the stereotypes just growing up, you know, in, in a in a kind of public school kind of urban low income environment is the alternatives for for us are either like playing sports or like making music. I mean, those are the people that I grew up at and looked at as successes outside of this new emerging class of entrepreneurs that that I alluded to earlier, which literally was like almost in a in a different universe. From, from <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Interestingly enough, at the time, um, Magic Johnson in, in my area was making the, the crossover to becoming not just an athlete, but to become an entrepreneur. And so he was investing heavily um, in the LA area and buying up Starbucks and using that as a beachhead to kind of build the community. And so he was now being kind of rebranded as this like successful entrepreneur. And so to me, like he was one of the tangible I guess, idols that I would look at in terms of entrepreneurship, owning the means of production, providing kind of jobs and creating real value for the community by which you came from. And that was something that was always kind of deep seated to me. Um, um, an another point I want to bring up, and, and this touched upon a lot of things that Brandon was talking about was this notion of just testing, you know, Brandon and I didn't really we're not like second generation legacy, like Ivy League. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, demean anybody. I, I, I'm saying that we were ignorant in understanding what these academic experiences could afford you in terms of optionality. So yes, if somebody just goes on my LinkedIn and you're like, oh yeah, this guy's incredibly successful. Oh yeah, he's a venture capitalist because he went to Stanford and most, venture capitalists have gone to Stanford. So it's easy. Like you got to understand this, this just happened, you know, um, even, even though I got into Stanford, right there, there's, there's different levels of exposure and you have to kind of catch up. So even though I got there, um, you know, I didn't know what Goldman Sachs was, even though they were on campus, I didn't know what McKinsey was, you know, I didn't know what Bain was and it's a different ethos there than it is at Wharton. I would say Wharton has a much more structured program where they're going to tell you to prepare a resume, to see, to make sure you participate in career day. Stanford, I, I would say is unique in that they really care about your personal development, less so about, you know, you getting, you know, a white collar job. They, they feel like you'll figure it out. So it's much more of an environment that's open, no pressure, a lot of personal development, a lot of like investing in you in terms of determining what, what you're excited about. And so because of that, a lot of it is like trial and error, right? Like, um, and part of that was, um, you know, me ending up in management consulting. Um, I, I was in a part of an organization called Inroads, which was fantastic. I actually like interned at, at, at in marketing at Nissan. That was my first internship. And then I rolled into Deloitte, where I was doing management consulting, which gave me just exposure to more professional services, building kind of competency in terms of Excel, really thinking about strategic thinking and, and, and operations. Um, and so I was building a good toolkit. Now, did I, did I necessarily like the work that I, I was doing? You know, it's, it's tough, right? As, as like somebody in their like early 20s who is, you know, working 80 hours a week, building decks uh, to, you know, install inter enterprise kind of software solutions. Um, you know, it, it, it was intellectually stimulating to, to a point, but um, I, I wanted to, to, to add some of my creative ownership and I wanted some autonomy to make some decision making. So um, after undergrad, I did pursue a career in management consulting, which, which was great. But if you understand the way that that program works as you fly out to a client site on a Monday, Right. Say you fly out from San Francisco to Chicago uh, to work at like McDonald's HQ, you know, Monday through Thursday, and then you fly back Thursday night. And so you can stay in your apartment for a few days to kind of enjoy enjoy real life. Um, an alum in L.A., um, uh, Stanford alum, was also working at Interscope Records at the time. 
and he was a friend from undergrad, he had access to a, a handful of artists. Um, and so it was great. Like we, we conceived of a business idea to leverage, you know, access to these artists to put on uh, events. And then we would, we would kind of merge these events with, with corporate partners because these events would, would bring out kind of tastemakers, right? And so this is this nice kind of like confluence of folks. Um, and that started as a hobby, right? On Friday and Saturday. And we ended up making more money doing that than I was uh, as a management consultant. And so I, I left consulting and then dove in to, to building out KOT Marketing Group. I'd say at its peak, we had you know, a tastemaker list of 50,000 people. We've done over a thousand events, you know, over a six, six year span and yeah, had a bunch of corporate partnerships. Um, but part of that was also understanding growth, right? What you realize is, you know, companies need, need to grow. And we had such a, 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 a lean model, like we were very profitable, but that came at the expense of kind of growth right um and we didn't have the acumen to say look we need to find equity investors or we need to figure out how to kind of collateralize some of these assets to go get a loan to build um you know to acquire new assets or to you know expand this nationally and so just like wanting to have that command of of the language of business which i think is accounting and finance was always top of mind and then and then sometimes you have just macro events that force your hand so the the recession hit um, and as you can imagine, um, consumer discretionary is going to get impacted. And so that's going to affect people's ability to like do events, but also slashing corporate budgets. So like two legs of our kind of income stream were, were impacted. And it was just a natural kind of um, opportunity for us to, to go back to business school. And I'd say, you know, my, 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 the, my co-founder now is, is like a vice president at Live Nation. So he's doing very well. And and, um, you know, I, I've kind of gone gone down this route because a, after Wharton, um, you know, went went to Wall Street and that's how I subsequently ended up at, at Samsung Max. Okay, very, very cool. And I think that one of the things that's personally very inspiring for me is the fact that you mentioned kind of like the journey of being an entrepreneur even prior to your time at Wharton in a sense. I'm going to be honest, I went into Penn not knowing a single word about the whole VC lingo and um, still learning on my feet. But having been an entrepreneur and very focused on working with clients, very work focused on working with the things that I do, and then I come in and then I see this whole new world, I would say, of things that I didn't know about businesses and things that I didn't even think about when I was running a business. And both so, yeah. of you kind of so I think I think I just sorry to cut you off. I think Eric Rice did like formalize entrepreneur, but like, and I think this is consistent with Brandon. Like, you should always be thinking about being an entrepreneur for your own career. Whether you end up stepping out and, and building your own company, you should be acquiring resources. I think to further your career internally or ex externally. And that that's how I like, there should always be a good trade-off no matter what organization you're with. So even at Samsung next, right? Like I work within a proper corporation, but there's a lot of gives and gets that are required for me to stay here. I want to make sure that it's a platform that allows me to grow, see, see deals, kind of build out new skill sets. Um, some, for some people it could be managing employees. For some people it could be like, getting sponsorship for additional education whatever that is yeah i've always kind of been entrepreneurial and wanted to learn at every stop like that was table stakes okay very very good explanation and kind of like building on that whole like wanting to learn like getting a whole view of this whole entrepreneurial world in a way as you guys now kind of like reach that career in your like or that point in your own entrepreneurial career where you realize that okay i've got like things that i've got to learn this like like i've got to like maybe go back to business school find figure out like what can i do to fill in the gaps to kind of like grow further what was your like how did you even decide to go to Wharton in the first place? And what was the process of kind of like getting into Wharton, meeting the people there? If I'm not mistaken, you guys met around this time as well. So meeting like-minded individuals, if I'm not mistaken. And how was kind of like realizing about this whole world behind the scenes of entrepreneurship? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, 
discovering Wharton, you know, was really uh, the fellowships that we were a part of. Um, and so that's that's where we met, you know, actually a couple of years before we even set foot uh, at Wharton or before we even got accepted. Um, so, you know, for those that don't know, uh, the Twigo Foundation and MLT's Management Leadership for Tomorrow, um, you know, th these are a couple organizations, structured fellowships, um, gen generally tend to be like pre-MBA, focused on underrepresented groups, um, you know, to get them into business schools, business leadership, um, some even, you know, with a specific focus like Twigo is on uh, finance. So investment management, investment banking, even venture capital, things like that. Um, so we met, you know, in MLT, uh, was the very first time we both happened to be in LA. Uh, we were in the minority of, of the group. It's a nationwide, uh, program. It skews very East coast. And then even on the West coast, it's pretty Bay centric. And so we were of the four or five people in Southern California. So, you know, just by being in the same cohort and, uh, doing some of the same assignments. I mean, they literally give you homework. You know, you gotta, you gotta research the schools. You gotta, learn about them. You, get, you gotta meet people. You gotta, and, 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 and that's, what's great about it. You know, um, they really, they were a, a, you know, a catalyst. They were an inflection point, um, kind of a launch pad in helping you learn about what business school is and entails, what to expect, how to prepare, how to hit the ground running, even, you know, from a personal standpoint, what's a good fit, you know, what, what's a good personality and cultural fit for you. The, just because the school is number one uh, in a given category or a ranking or publication doesn't mean it might you know be number one for you, right? Um, which, which was great. Um, so for 12 to 18 months, we were actually in this pre-MBA program together. We knew we wanted, you know, again, just we ended up becoming even closer beyond like cohort mates in this, in this journey to, you know, crack into the B-school process. Because we really, you know, we ended up realizing we had similar backgrounds in various ways, motivated by similar things. Uh, you know, an underlying uh, mission of ours is bridging the racial wealth gap because it's we've faced it in many ways personally in the world around us. Um, so, you know, from a vision standpoint, we're kind of aligned. We knew we wanted to get into finance. There was a, a few schools that focus on finance, Wharton being one of the top ones. We literally, you know, from GMAT to essays to flying around the country to go visit these schools and meet people and admission counselors to doing these uh, pre-MBA fellowship seminars. We, we did all that together. We got into, we were fortunate. We got into a bunch of schools together. We actually sort of chose Wharton together. We're like, just, you know, the, the trade-offs, uh, the pros, cons of, of all of them, uh, you know, fell in love with Wharton. You know, I think when we, we went there um, and uh, for admit weekend, but even prior to that, we had some ties to the community. Whitney M. Young uh, conference and, and the Amba community and stuff is, is one that was proactive in reaching out. You know, it's just it, it felt like it could be home. Uh, so we went. Uh, we went, um, and you know, again, sort of, we're prepared uh, because of these programs, these fellowships. We were laser focused. You know, um, I think different people go for different reasons to get different things out of B school. We needed to career switch. And it was a big career switch, right? Um, you had a marketer, event promoter, and a, and a you know has been music producer uh, who was a, now a financial advisor, wanting to get into uh, the bulge bracket on Wall Street. All right, these LA guys uh, need to need to break into New York. Which so, is so, you can, so you so you can imagine what our what our investment banking interviews are like. <laughs> <laughs> what were they like? Tell me, tell me, and tell the audience in a sense. No, I mean, just, just like everything else, I think, I think uh, it's all about your story, right? Being, being genuine, making sure your motives are there and showing a track record of, of achievement, your ability to follow through on what you say you're going to do. So I think they got that. I mean, I think, I think we were able to flex our intellectual curiosity and then you're going to have to, you know, be prepared for the interviews and be, be technical. And, and I think getting into Wharton obviously helps showcase that you have a base level of kind of analytical rigor. Um, I think an important point that I want to underscore from, from Brandon's discussion on, on the journey and migrating to Wharton together is it's not really talked about often enough in entrepreneurship. You, you, you always hear this glorified, you know, story of some like hacker who, you know, built the product in one month in, in a, in a basement. And, you know, a year later they create a unicorn, like 
there's something to be said about taking like a Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett view on, on your passion, meaning like a multi-decade thesis. Um, and, you know, Brandon and I were aligned. We complement each other very, very well. We're two totally different people, which is great because it allows us to stress test our ideas. But when you find a team, and that could be one person, that could be several people, um, um, the power that you get from bringing two people together, and Napoleon Hill calls it like this mastermind concept. I mean, it's basically just synergies, right? So one plus one equals more than two. Being able to move forward in unison with that has really helped fast track the realization of some of our vision um, because we just feel like the leverage is there, right? So when Brandon talks about even just the application process, right? Being able to like think through, okay, Brandon was the first to experiment with Wharton's group interview format. So he's able to help prep me, right? That's, that's an advantage. Um, you know, I got hired into Samsung next and, you know, made a good impression. I was able to give him cues to hit the ground running right away to make an Im impact with, with the head of our group, the chief innovation office um that led to a lot of, of resources and fast track kind of opportunities for us and as as we move forward you know even with with entrepreneurs it helps so like when you find people i think the punchline i'm trying to make is when you find a team you know that 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 you think could fit for the long run like invest in that i don't think people talk about the power of that enough um, you know, it, so, so yeah, find, find good people and, and keep them close and makes your job a lot easier. No, I think that's absolutely amazing. And I, and I love that you brought up that whole, the mastermind concept by Napoleon Hill. And that's actually something that I was very fortunate to learn about when I started out entrepreneurship. And today we teach to a lot of the kids we work with, the sentence, like it's about finding the people who you can synergize with, who you can give your best with on a similar project. And in a sense, it share your resources, share your ideas and create that sense of collaboration in a way. And kind of like, like I think one of the hardest parts is meeting these kind of people and finding the right like-minded people. And um, I think at every step of the journey, you guys would have to have struggled with this, either as an entrepreneur yourself um, or like in the admissions process to kind of like meet the people that have the similar goals to you, or even now in your current role, like when you are looking at startup founders, when you're looking at people that you can work with in a sense, what do you look for in someone that you can work with? Like what, like, what do you think is like, I know some people look strictly at the numbers, this person's got this, 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 and some people look strictly at the other end, which is, can I work with this person? Do I get a good gut feeling about them? What's your point of view on this? Yeah. Um, so it depends on the stakeholder, obviously. I, I think you were even sort of alluding to uh, when we're looking at founders, um, right? So putting, putting on our venture capital hat as investors. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of it is subjective, right. And you're betting on, uh, the potential of the person or the people, um, behind an idea behind a business. Um, and so the numbers are important, especially if it's later stage, but there's still always, uh, that dynamic of people. And if you go earlier stage, you're betting more and more on just the person, right? You know, the idea is going to pivot in some way. The product is definitely going to be iterated upon. So you do end up, you know, making the bet at a seed stage, let's say primarily on the people, the things that we look for. Um, yeah. I mean, some of those intangibles, I think uh, really understanding their, their motivators, right? The, the origin story, the why, uh, what is it that drives them? And hopefully we can glean that there is something so deeply rooted, right? The strong, strong founder market fit with what they're chasing that they're obsessed. They're obsessed, right? And, and and we believe then that the bet would be they're so obsessed, they're going to have that edge over those, right, uh, who are also trying to solve that problem. I'm sure they're not the first and only trying to tackle the problem, but they've got to have that extra drive, right, that that fuel, that fire sort of in their in their belly, right, uh, that pushes them so much that they're, they're relentless, that they're unstoppable, as we call it. Uh, so we look for that. We look for that kind of fit. Um, founder investor fit. You know, do they fit even with us? Um, depending on obviously like uh, the stake that we might make as investors or if we're taking a board role or anything like that. But in general, this is this is a long-term game. This is a long-term relationship, right? Um, 
So if you're making a bet on a company and they survive for, you know, five, 10, 15 years, you're kind of, you're in a long-term relationship with them in, in that regard. And so is this a person that we would want to, you know, regularly be working with, you know, um, the way that we communicate, the way we share ideas, thoughts, are they receptive to feedback, you know? Um, are they somewhat coachable? At the same time, can they push back? Can they push our thinking? You know, can they actually compel us to consider something that we hadn't, right? Um, or even overcome maybe an initial objective that we've had. Um, but that's an intangible, you know, there's sort of that founder investor fit. Um, we take that into consideration. Lastly, I think, I think it is the team. Antonio touched on the team. You know, if there's if there's more than one person there, it's like it's nice to be able to see and understand how they came together. What is their backstory? Do they have a track record? Again, not number based, but have they done anything together? Right? Have they gone through the ups and downs that inherently come with any relationship? There's always some type of difficulty, some friction. Uh, the friction, hopefully, between the two is actually what you know brings about the synergy, right? If it if it, Adam Grant actually even recently was talking about this, like. If there's no friction in a relationship, then it's likely not growing, right? Like they're, it's not, they're not pushing one another. Um, and so how do they make those kind of trade-offs? How do they come to um, resolution, right? When there's conflict, uh, is there a high level of trust, you know, and loyalty and communication between them? If we can glean those type of things, those interpersonal dynamics, um, you know, then, then that's, uh, those are a few of the more human aspects I think that we look for. Yeah, I, I I just had I'd add uh, two things. Um, n number one, your ability to base decisions on data, um, and be able to adjust your opinion if that data changes, and is counter to your your POV. I think it's important um, because if 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 philosophically, like Brandon and I do, that if if you can't get on that agenda, then it's just going to be hard to you know, influence. Uh, and then secondly, which seems like it should be table stakes, but often isn't, I mean, character, super important, right? Um, we're in a relationship business, a bunch of our deal flow is going to come from our founders, those in our network, um, not chasing the quick buck, as I alluded to playing a multi decade game, um, building relationships the right way not solely focus on quid pro quo, um, giving a lot more than, than you receive in, in typical Adam Grant style, um, we feel like is very important. And we try and suss out folks who are opportunistic, who are who are me first versus the team first. And so like, I think that's, it's always about what's best for the team, what's best for the company. Um, and, and I could, I could suss that out from a founder or somebody who wants to join our team. All right. And Antonio, as you mentioned, like, and like earlier as well, that is this the same criteria used when you pick with the people that you're going to work with when you're building your personal team as well, are these things equally important or is there some added thing that you look for when you know that you're going to be seeing this person day in, day out, and that you've got to rely on them for your own work in a sense? I mean, yeah. I would say working for us may, may have a, a little bit of a higher bar. I mean, it, it all it all depends on on the role, um, but I but I think I, I should be able to. I mean, I mentioned character. I guess a maybe characters uh, maybe judgment is a derivative of just having good judgment is 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 important. I, again, I know that sounds very simple. Um, it's simple but not easy in a sense right because you are we are one because we're always putting the team first you are now a part of the team you're an extension of the team and we're going to give you latitude to go out into the market and represent the team like we don't we don't like to micromanage like we want people who are self-starters who can like get their task and and run with it like press back on us like we're being the bottleneck um, that we are like the, the dumbest people in the room. Like that's where we want to, we want to get to. All right. And one of the things that I think like, since we're kind of like 
now at the work that you currently do and speaking on that, you both are part of the Diverse Founders Initiative, if I'm not mistaken. And it basically is the idea that you support um, founders who are probably in communities or in um, like demographics which are often overlooked in these spaces as well. First of all, hats off as someone who isn't a demographic that's overlooked. So like, thank you on behalf of everyone that I know and myself. But like, why choose to invest in this demographic of people who probably are not getting like the mainstream attention in a sense? Why in a sense? Number pretty, question pretty, one. Pretty, yeah. pretty simple, pretty, pretty simple, right? Undervalued, mispriced risk, undervalued asset. <laughs> okay, yeah. And I guess like follow up on that in a sense, like what is your vision in a sense? Because there's definitely so much good that can come out of it. But what are you guys looking to build like with the work that you guys do today in a sense? Like we, we know your industry is so powerful in driving change. So like what's the change that yeah, you guys I, I, but I don't I don't even want to like guide with it being altruistic. It's 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 like literally we we no no it's important, right? So like we just see a bunch of underlying consumers whose needs are not being effectively met. And the founders who are trying to meet those needs are undercapitalized. So literally, like, there's an undersupply of entrepreneurs creating products to meet the demand of a base of users. Um, and so we want to help realize that full market potential. And in doing so, obviously, right, um, we are going to hopefully create the, you know, help help balance out the the racial wealth gap right so if we you know in, invest in a founder out of inglewood california and that founder is able to raise a 20 million dollar series a the likelihood right is that they're going to hire folks in that region um and if that region has folks that are well represented um and that company goes on to be a unicorn or, or get an acquisition at a high valuation you now have a group of angel investors potentially to see the ecosystem or a group of, you know, if they end up being acquired and now they're now senior executives in an hour corporate, um, they can change the direction of hiring more, more diverse talent. Um, ultimately, this relates to having more equity ownership. And when you do that, you have more decision-making power um, and we think that having more diverse decision-making power leads to more diverse outcomes. So it, it's, it's a long game and it's a long thesis, but at the, at the core, you know, folks should get excited about this because, um, it provides good returns. And, you know, multi-decade plan, right? That's the idea, as you mentioned. So it's not about creating that change overnight in a sense, it's about that long-term. Exactly, because there, there, there's no there's no panacea for this. There's multiple variables at, at play. The, the best way to kind of prove out uh, that this is an attractive segment of the market is to generate returns and to prove out and help scale good companies. That, that's going to attract interested parties or else this is kind of just, you know, lip service that 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 may or may not survive this this new cycle, right? So I mean, just just let's, let's be honest, right? B, BLM was part of the cultural zeitgeist. Um, or need to explore that okay very cool and i kind of like like building on that question as we kind of wind down on our time as well for all of the founders out there for all of the people out there who have ideas that they feel can impact the communities that they serve in a way and i think now we meet a lot of people with ideas a lot of people with exciting things that they want to do or the changes that they want to make what do you think like they need to do differently in order to see that idea through. And this might not be specifically like through the venture capital route, but anyone with an idea, what do you think they need in a way to actually drive the idea to success? 
I mean, you guys have been entrepreneurs, you guys are on the other side, you guys went to business school as well. So kind of like the accumulation of all the experiences that you have, what do you think like are the things that someone needs to know if they actually want to create this sustainable change? Well, Brandon? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, like everything, it, it sort of depends if you're talking about you know how you're defining success whether it's it's you know change social change or yeah i mean are, are you trying to ipo right and build a venture-backed company so there's different routes and there's probably different ways you might measure that success uh universal type of advice i would give is um i mean you have to be brutally honest with yourself um highly self-aware uh you have to be willing to test your hypothesis, right? Just because you have an idea, you have a dream, an aspiration, a potential solution to a problem that is probably very clear and evident. You know, the problem is probably not the debate, but is your is your approach the best, right? Is it working? Um, are people actually using it? Whoever those stakeholders are, could be a business, could be society, public sector, a user, a gamer, right? Uh, for me, it was even a listener, right? Is somebody listening to your music, right? Um, and so it depends what your goal is, right? Uh, if you want to have this outsized impact, but you're again, only actually gaining traction with a smaller amount, you're going to need to change a lot. Um, if you're okay with, you know, again, maybe more of a niche or a smaller, but maybe it's outsized impact again, being very, you know, honest, but reasonable with your own expectations with what you're trying to achieve. Um, but listen and look for those signals, right? Um, the reason I say that is again, like once, once someone has really caught on to something, right? That is like there will be a spark, there will be an outsized demand. You won't be able to serve it all, right? That is the indication, at least, of product market fit. Um, hiring and getting talent on board is so difficult. If you're struggling to even articulate your vision clearly or in, a, in an inspirational way. Right. You have to be able to like be magnetic effectively. Right. And bring people on board who want to be on this journey with you. Um, and if your idea is not compelling enough to bring others on board like that, again, you're going to need to have those kind of moments where you stop, you know, evaluate. Um, and I think that that's important. I've seen some get stuck in that rut, you know, perhaps, um, which is tough you know, on many levels, I've seen some approach it, you know, not, it doesn't have to be scientifically or just data driven or, you know, objective, but to some degree, right. I've seen some people give up on certain thoughts, ideas, or initial hypotheses. Right. But again, they, they do it to the point where they iterate or pivot until it's, it works, right. It takes off. Um, that willingness to do so, uh, I think does separate oftentimes, you know, some, some of, some of these, uh, these, these folks and the outcomes that they have. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's one thing I would, I would advise at least. Okay. Very, very cool. And I especially like that part about being brutally honest in a sense. Um, Antonio, what about you? For all of those with an idea who driving it through right now, what do they need to know in a sense? Yeah, I think, uh, we may have lost Antonio for a moment here. So should we just uh, wait for, okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I think I think Brandon uh, cap captured the, 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 the gist of it. Just, you know, again, try and be objective, um, you know, and, and be honest with the, yourself that no, no one idea is truly, you know, sacred or unique and somebody's probably working on the same idea so be self-aware as to um the timeline how you're going to execute and why you are you have a competitive advantage to you know succeed in that particular market okay very cool and i think now as we kind of like wrap up our discussion i i just have to say that thank you both for coming on the show and i feel like just hearing how you guys started and today like where you are like 
like knowing all of the things that you do, I think sharing your little words of wisdom with us truly make a difference to those starting out, those looking at getting into the space, and those who I think need to be brutally honest and see where they need to pivot in their own careers as well. So thank you guys both for being on the show. Like you've been amazing to talk to. I hope you guys had as much fun speaking to us, Penn students as well. So, no, yeah. 100%. 100%. Thank, thank you, thank, thank you, so, you so much, much. for uh, for inviting us to the show to this platform. I mean, we're big fans of of the work that you're doing, uh, which again we, we applaud that. Very impactful, and, and just happy to uh, you know to come on and and be a, a small part of uh, the the impact that you're generating. Yeah, and, and I and I encourage you know any current Wharton students that are that are interested, um, hit hit us up. I mean, we're very reachable, so uh, happy to kind of have a chat if you're interested in careers and in, in, in venture, and we can figure out opportunities to potentially get you experience. Wow, thank you so much. And I know personally a lot of students at Penn and Wharton who probably need the advice and probably like be over the moon to hear that. So thank you again for like your experience, your kindness, and for the offer as well. And to all of our students listening, I hope that you guys learned as much as I did during the session. Once again, this has been Changing Reality. And if you guys have any other questions, let us know in the chat and we'll take it next week. So see you guys until next Thursday. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.